whenever I am asked to talk about leadership in relation to my work, I tend to do so fairly obviously through the lens of inquiry. So I think first and foremost, what leaders need to do and be to do this work well and take schooling into the future is they need to be inquirers. Hi, everybody. I'm Andy Vasley, and today on the show, we'll explore leading and learning through the lens of inquiry and how taking on an inquiry stance, both internally and externally, can greatly shape what we learn about ourselves, others, and the world around us. So some of you listening to this probably already know my guest's work or have even had the chance to meet her in person or attend her workshops or even hear her speak. If you are unfamiliar with my guest today, here is Kath Murdoch introducing herself to us. Murdoch and I consult in the area of inquiry-based learning and have done for a very long time now, over 30 years. I've researched and written and worked with teachers and children in that, that field. My interest is primarily in the primary years, so from sort of three, four-year-olds right through to 12-year-olds. I was a primary teacher originally and actually still consider myself to be one. In my heart, that's where I feel most at home. So I spend a lot of time in schools all around the world. I'm based in Australia. I'm currently in the UK, um, part of a a long trip working with different schools. So that's who I am and what I do. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be on your show. Over the years, I've had the good fortune to have a number of conversations with Kat. This is actually the fourth time that Kath has appeared on my podcast. So I'm Kath Murdoch and I mainly consult, but I still think of myself as a teacher. I do a lot of work in schools at the moment, almost all work in schools in Australia. And in our previous discussions, Kath has shared deep insight into her life in education from her early days as a student herself and how curiosity and wonder had always been a part of her own journey of learning, and how these experiences led her into the education profession and ultimately propel her on to the work she has done over the past three decades as a leading consultant worldwide, training teachers and educational leaders to empower the voices of the students they serve. From the TED stage to countless conferences to lecture halls and schools around the globe, Kath has had a huge impact on the field of teaching and learning, and my own teaching in particular. She's written 15 books and numerous articles for teachers, including her bestseller, The Power of Inquiry in 2015, and two of her latest books, Getting Personal with Inquiry Learning and The Wonder of Winsome. If you haven't seen her TEDx talk, you should really check it out because it was in this talk that she had the chance to speak so eloquently about the power of um. 
and share how silence allows young people to pick up loose threads of knowledge and reflection that ultimately open their minds to the most beautiful moments of curiosity that come alive through the questions that they come up with. Kath emphasizes that it's not the answers that enlighten, but rather powerful questions instead, which are responsible for sparking deep learning in young people. Here's Kath on the TED stage in West Vancouver, sharing this exact theme to the audience that day back in 2017. UNESCO famously said that it's not the answer that enlightens, it's the question. And I couldn't agree more. A question can be such a thing of beauty. It leaves us open, vulnerable, and on the precipice of learning something new, but something that we have invited in. The wonder bubble that is my car has kind of transformed into more of a confessional now that my children are teenagers, but it's never lost that beautiful atmosphere of reflection. Alain de Baton describes, in fact, journeys as the midwives of thought. And for us, many of our journeys have been just that. They've given birth to some of the best questions, to some of our best thinking, and some of our most precious silences. So, I'm a parent. But as I said, I'm also an educator. And for much of my professional life, I've been fortunate to work with children and teachers all over the world. So when I'm not in one of these, or one of these, you can usually find me in one of these, the classroom. Now, the classroom, in many ways, is the antithesis of that wonder bubble that I've described as my car on a long journey, or a treehouse, or the front porch, or the bath, or anywhere where we are still enough to be reflective and to allow those big thoughts and speculations to occur in our minds. Classrooms are busy, often noisy, or strangely too quiet places. And whether they are the kind of sterile environment that I grew up in, or the colourful, chock-full of dingle-dangle classrooms that I created when I first started teaching, regardless of the style, they can still be rather alienating or disconnecting places for children. I think classrooms can be very poor habitats for wonder. It can be very difficult to find might, maybe, could be. Um, I wonder. Let's see. So in our conversation today, Kath and I are going to pull back the curtain on how she has continued to evolve her own learning related to the work she does inspiring teachers and students around the world to do their best work possible. and how curiosity, genuine reflection, and asking the right questions all play a critical role in helping leaders be the best that they can be for the organizations that they lead. 
What was revealed to me through this discussion today was the impact that taking on an inquiry stance has on helping to build such a strong culture of genuine learning across the board in educational organizations. Whenever I have these conversations with Kath, I'm always drawn back to the amazing work of the late, great Sir Ken Robinson and his inspiring talk, How Schools Killed Creativity. The education profession has traditionally been so focused and concerned on student achievement and results that it has oftentimes failed to recognize the hugely important role that leadership development plays in promoting school environments and systems that genuinely inspire teachers to do their best work possible in order to create the conditions for young learners to truly thrive. Listen to what Sir Ken Robinson says in his talk about where schools have gone wrong and the shift that is needed to get them pointed in the right direction. What these things have in common is that kids will take a chance. You know, if they don't know, they'll have a go. Am I right? They're not frightened of being wrong. Now, I don't mean to say that being wrong is the same thing as being creative. What we do know is, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. If you're not prepared to be wrong. And by the time they get to be adults, most kids have lost that capacity. Uh, they have become frightened of being wrong. And we run our companies this, by the way. We stigmatize mistakes. And we're now running national education systems where mistakes are the worst thing you can make. And the result is that we are educating people out of their creative capacities. Picasso once said this. He said that all children are born artists. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. I believe this passionately, that we don't grow into creativity, we grow out of it. For all stakeholders and organizations to genuinely flourish, schools must be led by those who are willing to take risk, nurture and support, and ultimately lead through the lens of inquiry itself. So with that introduction, let's now jump right into the conversation I had with the inspiring Kath Murdoch. Kath, it's great to have you back on the show for a fourth time. You're, oh, you're the, yeah, Is you're it the, really? Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about that today, and we've obviously been connected a, a long time, and mm -hmm. I just keep following your journey, you know, and it's it's amazing what you're doing, and you know, most you. of the listeners are familiar with your work, but mm -hmm. can you just let us know, for the ones that might not be familiar with your work, can you let us know who you are, where you're from, and the work that you have devoted yourself to? Of course. Um, thanks for having me back on, Andy. That's always a delight. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm Kath Murdoch and I um, consult in the area of inquiry-based learning and have done for a very long time now, over 30 years. Um, I've researched and written and worked with teachers and children in that, that field. My um, interest is primarily in the primary years, so from sort of three, four-year-olds right through to 12-year-olds. I was a primary teacher um, originally and actually still consider myself to be one 
in my heart. That's where I um, feel most at home. So I spend a lot of time in schools all around the world. I'm based in Australia. I'm currently in the UK, um, part of a, a long trip working with different schools. So that's who I am and what I do. Yeah, great. You're in London right now, uh, giving a series of workshops. Is it London mm-hmm. or? Uh, I'm actually I'm I'm um, pausing at the moment. Okay. Uh, I have family over here, so I'm I'm actually in a tiny little village called Abberley, um, in in Worcester, Worcestershire. And uh, but I was in London prior to that. I've worked in Scotland and Wales, and after this, I head on to work in Paris, and then take a kind of right hand turn and and work in Portland at the end. So this has been a really the longest continuous work trip that I've ever done. Yeah. Um, I've been keeping a little diary of the trip in the form of an alphabet, a word a day, because it's a 26-day trip. So yeah. that's that's been on my social media. So that's been really interesting just to track it. Portland so, yeah. would be Bodo's school? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Never met him, but we've been in touch, obviously, through the, mm-hmm. through the network. But, um, you know, when I think of your work, I think of you said that you're primarily in primary. But you certainly inspired the likes of Trevor McKenzie, who mm-hmm. has brought the inquiry lens to all of his work in middle school and high school. That's right. So it's been mm-hmm. great to connect with Trevor and and hear you know a lot about his work as well. And I know you two mm-hmm. have worked together quite closely. But when you think of your journey in education, based on those 30 years of doing your consulting work and teaching mm-hmm. and writing, uh, what is it now that you feel most compelled to share with the world? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. Mm. I, to be honest, I think a sense of being compelled, of what I'm compelled to share tends to be driven by the context in which I am. So there'll be some, you know, some environments where I might feel more compelled to share and explore ideas of play as a pathway to inquiry for example and then I might be in other settings where what I'm compelled to work on is the use or the curation of the environment so I think rather than the then then the drive coming from what I want to share I feel like more often than not it comes from the needs and the circumstances of the group that I'm working with having said that my most recent book um, getting personal with inquiry learning focuses on the way we can harness children's own interests and passions and questions that are personally meaningful to them and how to harness that for inquiry. So if there was anything I had to say, I'm currently, you know, talking a lot about and sharing and interested in, it's probably that. And what I hear come alive and what you just described is um, the context as you said and and mm. basing your work on the individual uh individualized mm. needs of those who you're serving through mm. your work mm-hmm. so it's making as the title um mm-hmm. say the title of your book again getting personal with inquiry getting personal right? with inquiry yeah yeah so i think that really comes alive in mm. in the words and the way you just described that um mm. and as you think about the type of education systems that schools mm. need moving forward based on the changing times and uncertainty of the world mm-hmm. having worked you know your work is with teachers but of course you have to connect with the leaders of of these mm-hmm. organizations first to assess their needs right and and to mm-hmm. work with these leaders but um what types of leaders do you 
do you think we need based on the, these changing times? And what do you think leaders really need to let go of within themselves in order to lead their schools into this mm. uncertain future? Mm. Wow, that's a really big question, Andy. Mm. Um, whenever I am asked to talk about um, leadership in relation to my work, I tend to do so fairly obviously through the lens of inquiry. So I think first and foremost, what leaders need to do and be to do this work well and take schooling into the future is they need to be inquirers. So they need to be people that, and I know this is almost sounding like a cliche now, but they they need to be people that are un, that are comfortable with uncertainty, that are really flexible, that are above and beyond, I think, just genuinely curious and open leaders need to be learners and be really comfortable in being in having that kind of vulnerability um that often is at odds with our idea of what strong leadership looks like but the leaders that i've worked with around the world that seem to do their job best are the most humble open vulnerable incredibly well informed really savvy but very um very much um of the view that they are learning with their staff um and yeah i think i think curious curious individuals and and brave of course you've got to be you've mm -hmm. got to have a lot of courage i think to do to do this work well so i always feel that there's just this lovely parallel between the characteristics associated with strong leadership in a school and what we would hope that each teacher would be so that the sort of pedagogical practices associated with this work as a teacher in many ways you know pedagogical practices for example I, the ones i use are that, that great inquiry teachers um, cultivate curiosity they notice they're, they're very observant they notice they keep it real they're authentic they release responsibility to their students. There are six others, but even just taking those four, I would say that's the, that's what leaders need to be. They need to cultivate curiosity in themselves and others. They need to listen and observe, so really notice. They need to release responsibility. You know, So the same kind of approach as we would use in the classroom should be happening or mirrored in by the leadership team. Yeah, that's a great message. And I told you right before this interview, I, I had the uh, opportunity uh, to interview uh, Ali Pekka Heinen, mm -hmm. the Director General of the IB. And one of the things he has really taken a lot of pride of pride in in regards to his own leadership is that he used to be in politics and he said politics was about ego and power. Yeah. And he's learned over the years to um, really present himself in in a way um, mm. that exemplifies the Finnish culture, which is a, it's a very humble culture. Mm -hmm. And the quote I shared with him was, uh, humility will always open more doors than arrogance ever will. Oh, yeah. and, and he spoke about that. And mm. in hearing you describe the types of leaders we need, I recently had Charles Feldman on my podcast. He he uh, is a mentor to Brene Brown. And um, Brene uses charles's definition of trust so he's a, a expert in trust and mm -hmm. what Brene um, says is that his his definition of trust is what really changed her work 
at trust and distrust. And the definition of trust is making something that's valuable to me, important to me, vulnerable to another person's actions. Mm, mm. And say that, say that again. So it's making something that's important to me or something I value vulnerable yes. to another person's actions. Mm. Whereas, whereas yes. Dis- distrust, yes, yes, yes. his definition of distrust is what's valuable to to me or important to me is not safe with you in this moment or mm-hmm. any other moment. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is yeah. this idea of being being inquirers. And I, I talked with Charles about this when I said like this idea of inquiry within and really mm-hmm. understanding as a leader what mm-hmm. my emotional triggers are mm-hmm. and, and being curious about that so I can mm-hmm. best learn to deal with my emotional triggers in a way that uh, doesn't have me come off as as harsh and cruel mm-hmm. and mean, but there's a lot of research now around this idea of inquiring within and and really mm-hmm. better understanding ourselves. So, mm-hmm. can you just speak more about that mm-hmm. through the lens of inquiry and and oh, yeah. self growth and leaders? Absolutely. Well, I I feel like I want to expand it to not just leaders, but well, we're all leaders, and we and that includes the children that we work with. And I guess I've used that phrase inquire within a gazillion times over the year and uh, over the years and I think for an inquiry culture so for well obviously a leader needs to do this but I would say that teachers and teachers and children right across an inquiry community I would argue that while there's this this sort of parallel track you know there's the this dual highway of learning if you like where on the one hand, you are um, inquiring into whatever you might be inquiring into. So in the classroom, it might be inquiring into narrative texts or inquiring into, you know, movement or whatever it might be. But regardless of what you're actually inquiring into, you are always able to simultaneously inquire into the self. And so I... The, the image I often have in my head is sort of a two, two you know, a double-headed arrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking out and I'm looking in at the same time. And so when I'm working with children, one of the things we try and do is is to keep toggling between those two to say, well, you know, it might be. So what what are we learning about the way that we can, you know, what are we figuring out about how to really get that ball to to go as far as possible if we're doing something around, you know, ball handling skills. But at the same time, in that moment, it might be, and what are you noticing about yourself while you try and do this? What's going on for you yeah, inside? Awesome. Or how does that feel? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, now that was a challenging task. How? Let's just take a moment to notice how we reacted to that task. So we actually have an opportunity to, as leaders, whether that be teachers in the classroom or leaders for school, to model that that kind of toggling between inquiring outward and inquiring inward when we acknowledge, when we notice and name what's going on for us. Mm-hmm. So we might be saying in the classroom, you know, this goes to your trust piece, mm-hmm. uh, that teacher's trusting that they might be able to say something like, you know what, kids, I've just noticed that I have asked you some questions and I really haven't been listening to what you've been saying. I've been distracted. Can we start this conversation again? And I need to be more present with you. Moments like that where the children can hear the internal discourse of the educator 
as a learner and understand what's going on. Same for leaders. We so appreciate it, don't we? We never hear this from our politicians because, as you say, it's all about ego. But when we hear a leader say, look, everyone, I just need to let you know what's going on for me right now or I just need to pause and let you know this is happening for me. I'm just feeling really uncomfortable here. Just a moment to express the the moment of inquiry into the self. So, you know, I think every classroom, perhaps every staff room needs to have that enduring question that travels across the year. What are we learning about ourselves as we inquire? not just what are we learning about. Yeah, I, I was just going to say in the PYP world, that's revisiting the who we are unit several mm-hmm. times throughout mm-hmm. the year at, to see yeah. how your identity is changing as a result of your yes. your learning, right? And if yeah. I was, if I, I just want to share one experience I had, because I'm back to teaching again, and I absolutely love it. It's It's amazing. And so I'm teaching PE and all of these ideas, you know, all of these things, I've worked very closely with teachers alongside mm-hmm. teachers over the past few years as a coach. I'm now like really applying a very healthy internal pressure to apply myself. And I feel like a a novice. I really do because I'm structuring things differently. And last week I I had, I I would think it would be a big win. Um, You imagine our gym is divided by a white curtain and the Mm -hmm. acoustics are not very good. So if there's a class on the other side and you're trying to instruct on your own side, Mm -hmm. you know, the the kids can get really distracted. So that requires me to, to uh, use a very loud voice mm-hmm. that is unlike me. Mm-hmm. So it was a grade two class and we were doing this fun activity and I noticed one boy um, looked really upset. He had like a sad face and mm-hmm. and uh, looked like he was on the verge of tears. So we transitioned, like we we flip-flopped. So we did a one station on one side, one station on the other, then the teacher on the other side and I flip-flopped so that mm-hmm. I did the, the station on the other side. And when we went over to the other side, the boy was now crying. And I pulled him over and I was like, do you want to sit down for a few minutes? And he just wouldn't say anything, just looked very angry, upset. And he sat down on the bench. Then I got the activity started and I went and sat beside him. And I said, what's going on for you? Like, what are you feeling right now? Like, what do you want to share with me? And he wouldn't say anything. I said, are you angry? You seem angry. And And he nodded. And I said, who are you angry at? And he pointed at me. Ooh. pointed right at me without saying anything he wasn't even looking at me just shot his index finger right like an inch oh. from my nose and I, and I said please tell me what happened and he said you're mm. screaming today oh no you're screaming you're oh, angry and I no. said I'm so sorry this is what's happening for me is that there's a class mm. on the other side and if I don't speak in a loud voice the kids can't hear and I said can I give you can you help me out here? I said, watch. Mm. And I stopped the activity and I spoke in a normal voice and none of the kids heard me. Mm-hmm. So then he got up and he, we have this quiet camel thing, right? So he got up and he started doing quiet camel to everybody so that they were quiet and they still couldn't hear me. And then they had to move closer. And then he said to me, I understand, Mr. Andy, I'm I'm sorry. Oh. I said, no, don't you be sorry. I said, thank you so much for being willing to share your feelings yes. with me because I had no idea. And then I explained to the class with his permission mm-hmm. what happened. And I said, I'm using a voice today that I don't normally use. And the kids agreed. And then I, mm-hmm. I it was a, a moment for me, never assume anything, yeah. you know? So yeah. I just and wanted to to share that because- I it, love that story. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, sh- it speaks to your, it speaks to the trust that you've established yeah. actually with with the children 
and that that so many little you know the tiny moments in that 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 was so beautiful to take the child aside to make that moment of you know let me just find out what's going on for you not doing that in front of others not not demanding that he tell you accepting that he's telling you by mm-hmm. just doing those nonverbal yeah. signals and then also being being fine with apologizing so i'm yeah. really sorry that you know these are all n- none of these things are associated with our traditional image of the all powerful teacher are mm, they yeah. Yeah, exactly. you know and and uh, so i think that's that's a really that's a gosh yeah, well, it, it helped me the rest of the week. Mm. I, I framed up in the first minute. I was like, I'm using a loud voice today. I, you know, okay. I kind of briefly told the kids in other classes what happened. And I said, uh, I have to use a loud voice because the, yeah. the sound in the gym is not very good. So we all need yeah. to be excellent listeners. So mm. yeah, it, it was, it was cool. Mm. And it was, a, uh, you know, I was proud of that because I took the time to really connect with him. But I just wanted to take a quick time out here. I hope you are enjoying the discussion that I'm having with Kath. And if you like what you're hearing, I'd be very happy if you could check out other episodes from my Run Your Life podcast, as well share them with people who you think will benefit from listening. Here is a snippet from a podcast, actually one of my favorites, that I recorded last year with award-winning journalist and former Esquire magazine writer Cal Fussman. My mom comes running up the steps of our apartment, holding this envelope in her right hand. And it's from the White House, from the president, as addressed to me. And the beauty of this letter was that it was not written down to a second grader. It was written with reverence. And I knew that when we got to the second sentence, it began something like, In answer to your query, (laughs) I had no idea what a query was. Cal was great friends with Larry King and wrote his biography, From Soup to Nuts. As well, he spent time with Muhammad Ali, I think it was a week straight at Muhammad Ali's estate. And he spent time with him to write a long-form article about his life for Esquire. Uh, You name it, from former Russian Prime Minister Mikhail Gorbachev to George Clooney, Serena Williams, and even Nelson Mandela, he has interviewed some of the most influential people throughout his career. Cal is truly full of insight and wisdom. You can find a link to my conversation with Cal in the show notes of today's episode. I just wanted to drop that in there in case you want to listen to any other episodes uh, from my podcast. But with that, let's jump right back into my chat with Kath Murdoch. I, I want to go into your books, um, mm-hmm. your recent books. So you came on uh, a, a couple of years. When did Power of Inquiry come out? Uh, that was, that's just had its sixth anniversary. Okay. So mm. you came on and I remember you saying it was such a beast for you to write it that was. book. It was. And I remember at the time it was like you weren't even thinking about writing anything else. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, for the listeners, tell us about your recent books and um, what do you want people to know about them and where can they get copies? Yeah. Um, so there's since that, since The Power of Inquiry, which by the way, I'm working on the second edition of that at the moment. So the beast 
the beast has risen again. Yeah. Um, but since then, I've published two books. One is a book for children um, called The Wonder of Winsome, and that's a picture book about really exploring the concept of curiosity and how children have their curiosity diminished when they come to school and what happens to them when that happens and what teachers and parents can do about that. So that, that was a real delight, very lovely, interesting, creative journey to produce that. Um, and then the other one that's been bubbling along, which also much and all as I do try and say every time I go to write a book, keep this one manageable, keep it, you know, you don't have to. Anyway, I can't. Yeah. I it, It's always a deep dive for me. I, I can't write a um, surface level sort of shallow, easy Easy, easily digestible book, mm-hmm. although I do hope that this um, is still very user-friendly. Um, yeah, but this, so this latest one is, as I said before, it's really a guide to helping um, children or using the interests, the passions, the questions that we notice our children have, even very individual and personal ones, and how we might allow school to be a place where they can actually pursue those rather than having to wait until they're not at school um, to actually find out about the things or get better at the things that they love. So um, a good half of the book is very practical guidance as to how to do that. The first half of the book is really all about laying the foundations for that because I don't it, it doesn't work particularly well if you don't have a really strong and fruitful culture of inquiry to begin with. So I revisit some of the things in the power of inquiry, but take them a, a step further. So, a, yeah. yeah. Also, it says um, that uh, just in the description of the book, mm. uh, it's that it's rich with classroom examples, templates yeah. to guide planning, and, and mm-hmm. accompanied by advice from a range of highly respected mm. educators from around the world. Mm-hmm. So just speak to some of those classroom examples and templates uh, that people can mm-hmm. expect if they buy the book. Sure. Um, well, the, the the templates part, and, and I'm always very nervous about putting anything that could remotely look like a worksheet in a book because I never, ever use them myself as in worksheets. But they, the, the templates are really just examples of what thing like a structure could be if a child for example has a particular interest in something and then we talk about the the children pitching their ideas to the group so this isn't simply about I love dinosaurs so I'm going to do a project on dinosaurs the templates are about slowing that process down and really thinking through what that personal journey of inquiry might look like and using the templates and I've just given lots of different examples and then my idea as I say in the book is for the children and the teachers to create their own Mm. Um, so there's that kind of thing Um, I've worked on personal inquiry um, for the last decade so in various schools and classrooms we've really just been investigating how do we make this work how do we make it so that it isn't I've seen some of the stuff that's often around in kind of genius hour idea that I think kind of misses the point of it um a bit they do become sort of a shallow project in you know kids make cupcakes and that's it, it it's it, this this attempts to be a, a more substantial um and perhaps a more rigorous way of doing it so i've used lots of examples from the schools that i've worked in and then um yes yeah, some some great educators i've had the 
pleasure of either working with or mentoring um, in different parts of the world that were kind enough to be part of the research for the book and their wonderful quotes. Um, you know, educators like Miss, Misty Patterson and Trevor McKenzie and Graham Lang and Nellie Gibson and a whole uh, Sam Sherratt. So people that have also been playing with this idea of how do we really not just go through a, a year where we all do the same unit, um, you know, as we move through the year, but where individuals feel like they're really seen and their ideas are really valued and they get to play to their strengths. Um, so the foreword by um, Yong Zhao really positions the whole book around this idea of playing playing to your strengths, which he's, of course, written so much about himself. Yeah, he's he's great. He came on my podcast last year. Mm. Um, but, you know, what you're describing is really shining the light on others, too, in your work and bringing mm. those other educators in. Some of mm. them I know, they're brilliant at what they do, and, and mm -hmm. that's what a great leader does. So being a great leader yourself, mm. you shine the light on others and and their work. And, you know, I think that probably means so much to them. There is a little bit, I just want to tell the listeners that I'm recording this from the conference. So you can hear the chatter of learning mm -hmm. in the background. So I hope it's not mm -hmm. too distracting, but uh, segueing into the last, oh, so can you tell us where you can find the books? Oh, um, yes, actually this one, Amazon, Booktopia, all the, all those um, different platforms um or if a school wants to buy a set they can just con contact me and i can um organize that for them at a okay. discount yeah okay great so i'll include that in the show notes uh, so that thank would be uh, they can contact you through your website mm -hmm. so i'll just put your website in thank you okay so in closing i want to share a quote um so i have a lot of quotes up in my office at home mm -hmm. and uh, I want to share a quote with you uh, that Denzel, a, a quote from a commencement speech that Denzel Washington gave a few years ago, and and then ask you one final question. But mm -hmm. what Denzel Washington said was, we all have gifts that we have been blessed with in life. For example, some of you have been given the gift of patience or kindness. Mm -hmm. Some of you have been given the gift of spreading love through your work, or even some of you have been given the gift of long suffering. Whatever your gift is, don't waste it. Always ask mm -hmm. yourself, what am I going to do with the gift I've been given? Mm -hmm. So if you were to project forward to the end of your life and be looking back on all the things mm -hmm. you accomplished and gave to the world, what would you be most proud of within yourself looking back at the contribution you made to the world of education? Mm. That's, wow, that, that's getting deep there. Andy, um, do you know, interestingly, when you use that phrase, you know, end of your life, looking back, what would you be most proud of? My head did not go to education at all. Okay. I, you know, I love my work. I, I'm, you know, have done it for a long time. I, I'm, and I'm totally wanting to continue to make a contribution. But to, to be honest, I feel like the thing that I'm most proud of, if that's even the right word to use, um, is my, family it's my kids it's the connections in you know i'm sitting here in the um study of my my uncle's study in the english countryside and i'm actually looking at i'm staring at a photograph of my um grandparents and their children and i'm surrounded by um you know really substantial family connections and that goes straight to my heart i love being an educator but um, I think the contribution that you make 
if you're lucky enough to have close connected family and to just be able to bring kids up into the world as reasonably good human beings yeah. that feels good right yeah, that, yeah. that to me feels good and I just hope and I think that keeps me motivated and energized to continue to do the work that is essentially for other people's children um, yeah. and that that keeps filling filling my cup I never want my work to be so all-consuming that I I um, lose that connection with home so yeah, I think that's that's probably what I'm I'm most proud of. Well, it's um, been amazing yeah. seeing seeing your daughters. Uh, one's a dancer, and <laughs> one's a musician. Um, Greta yeah. Ray. That's right. Yeah, Her music yeah. is amazing. That's oh, she's, she's really you. flourishing. Yeah. So, uh, how is um, what do, do things look like for your daughters in terms of their pursuits? Um, well, Greta's in LA at the moment, busily working on her next album. And, you know, I, I actually write a bit about them in the foreword to this book only because um, I think that they, especially Greta, was l really lucky to have, there, there weren't many, but a few teachers in her time in school that saw saw that light, saw the thing. The music was the thing. She was born singing and music was the thing that she was constantly drawn to. And the teachers in her life that saw that, that nurtured it, that gave her lots of opportunities to do do this when she was at school, that they made such a difference. Like they they really did. You know, I, I dedicate. I've, I've written about those teachers in the forward because if it wasn't for them, I don't think she'd be where she is now. And I think the same goes for Holly. Holly's actually now. Um, dances for pleasure rather than work and she um is now doing a, a, a degree in public health but again you think back over their time and there's one or two teachers that that took the time to say who are you who are you and how might I can connect with who you are and I think you probably had the same experience with your boys I imagine yeah. Andy and as a parent the sense of gratitude that you have for those teachers who take a moment to value your child simply for who they are and it, it it's priceless you yeah. just want to give it give them I mean you oh, I was going to say you just want to give them a hug I actually did give them hugs um yeah, yeah. but you know I think where where my kids are at the moment which is you know at the moment happy and productive individuals um but I can genuinely say that their journey was made better sometimes made worse by some teachers, but on the whole made better by a few extraordinary teachers. And that's what I would say to all teachers, all leaders, even, you know, a principal of a school, it's about what's what's the offer that each of my staff members can make, even the most difficult recalcitrant ones. Where's where's that little glimmer of light and where's where's their gift? You know, going back to the quote you just read, mm -hmm. that's our challenge, isn't it? That yeah. with a spirit of curiosity, and what's what's your contribution to the group? And gosh, it makes a difference when you bring that mindset to your work. Yeah, for sure. This mm -hmm. this summer, I'll just share a quick story with you. But I had a, a mentor uh, teacher in high school. He was there for me through mm -hmm. all of high school. A very special man. Um, when I was in grade 11, there was a local radio station that put on a Citizen of the Year award, and you had to write a letter 
to nominate somebody. So I wrote a letter mm-hmm. to the radio station why this teacher, Mr. Millette, Dennis Millette, should be the citizen of the year. So it turns out that he wins the citizen of the year. <gasps> so the radio station asks me to present it to him in front of the school, but I'm too shy. And I say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So they came to the school and they presented it to him. And I lost touch with him after high school. And it was about 10 years after that my wife, Neela, and I, and the boys when they were really young, were at a coffee shop in Canada. And I saw him and I was like, oh, I told my wife about him so much. And I went mm-hmm. over to him and I gave him a huge hug. And mm-hmm. I said, boys, this is Mr. Millette. I told you about my favorite teacher mm-hmm. from high school. Here he is. And then he told the story to my boys about the letter. And he said that's still up on his wall oh. at home. So then over after that, um, we kind of lose touch and then we reconnect. And he went to uh, my father's funeral. And and then this summer, I meant to reach out to him because I returned back to my hometown. And mm-hmm. I kept thinking, I've got to give him a call. And I, I found his number. And literally the day that I got his phone number, I got a message that he passed away the day before. Oh, Angie. And wow. it, it, yeah, like I, I think <laughs> about it and I was like, yeah. I, was, I was in tears. I was like, why didn't I call him? Uh, yeah. I had one more chance yeah. to call him and I didn't. Yeah. But long story short, um, I got to go to his funeral and I brought my son. Yeah. My other son was out of town, but I brought my son to the funeral and then we went to the luncheon after and I just happened to be sitting with his um, nieces mm. uh, who I didn't know. And then mm. I told the story and they're like, you're the guy. Oh. And then they said, that letter is still on the wall. Oh, so they went back to the apartment and they took a photo of it. And it's my yeah. handwritten, my handwritten letter <gasps> and a uh, letter from the radio station and the certificate. And they sent it to me and I was like, you know. That's so special. Yeah. You know, it's And it is that taking that moment, you know, for all of us, whether it's in our work or our family context, just to take that moment to say, I'm going to. I want you to know that I see you and value you for what you've done, either for me or for others. And it doesn't take much to do it, but goodness, it makes it well a lifelong difference. Yeah, absolutely. In your case, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Kath, where can people find you on social media? Uh, so, at KJ Inquiry is my handle for Twitter and Instagram, and Kath Murdoch Consulting for Facebook. And I think it's the same for LinkedIn, although I don't use that very much. But I'm pretty active at the moment on um, Instagram and Facebook as I write reflections on my journey and on inquiry throughout my 26 days of okay. travelling. So, uh, they, What oh, letter are you on? <laughs> I'm up to Q today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Excellent. So you have a few more days. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah, thank you for your time today, Kath. I really appreciate it. I I love our discussions. It's always a delight, Andy. Thanks for having me on. And can I say thank you for the contribution that you make with this podcast. It makes a difference. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Kath Murdoch. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes.